This is Pakinggan Pilipinas. I'm your host, Elise Punsalan. Happy 2012, everyone. Alive and well, I presume? If you are listening to this podcast, then it's not the end of the world just yet. How many times have we been told through stories, films, TV shows, commercials, even viral videos that you share on Facebook that life is short, make the most out of it, choose happiness, don't postpone joy or love? Our featured story this month is Marianne Villanueva's Coconut, and in its own way tells us a similar message. It's narrated by another author with the same name, Marianne Mall. Near the end of this episode, I get to chat a little with Miss Mall about the story, and um, as well as personal revelations about Miss Mall's writing journey. Coconut by Marianne Villanueva She was stepping in the front door of her own house. She recognized the red door, the brass knocker, the small square of glass through which she peered in answer to the ringing of the doorbell. Strange that only a little while ago she had been lying flat on her back on a street not two corners away. Paramedics had been pounding on her chest. She wanted to scream, Stop! Stop! When she raised her head a little, she could see her car. Smoke was coming from the engine, plainly visible now beneath the tented hood. Hovering nearby was the stricken face of the driver of the other car, a middle-aged man who kept shaking his head and muttering, Dear God, dear God. Dear, she wanted to call out, Mahal. But what was she thinking? This was not her husband. She gave herself a shake. And so she found herself home. Miraculous that she'd been able to walk. It was a hot day, in fact, sweltering. The sun pounded down on her head, her blouse was soaked. Her husband was sitting in the same position she had left him, reading his paper on the couch. She slipped past him, thankful that her quiet tread did not attract his notice and headed for her son's room. She nudged open the door with her bare foot. It bothered her that she couldn't remember what had happened to her shoes, but she shrugged off the annoyance as she looked at her 15-year-old son stretched out on the bed reading his dualist magazine. Fifteen years ago, she and her husband had combined their two names, Delia and Boy, and the fruit had been this child who looked nothing like either of them, who cursed, secretly but she knew, angrily about school and homework, who scrawled fuck on the covers of his notebooks and dreamt about running away or about being adopted by some other family. She'd read an essay he'd written for English class. She saw the grade, a C and knew he had crumpled it up and meant to throw it away. Instead, he'd absent-mindedly brought it home. She'd found it under the bed one day when she was vacuuming. In his essay, her son talked of being misunderstood, 
of his parents not being happy. Some of that was true, but there was always an element of drama in everything her son did. I'll make him a surprise, she thought, heading for the kitchen. She opened the kitchen cabinets, searching for what she needed. It's been so long since I made this. He'll surely love it. Sunlight glittered through the window. Her hands ranged busily over the counter. She tried to remember why she had left the house that morning. Some trivial errand. Perhaps she'd been heading to Safeway. She'd noticed just now, from looking into the fridge, that they'd run out of eggs. Yes, that was probably it. But something had stopped her from actually reaching her destination. Some force. Had she been about to return to the house when the accident happened? She frowned and looked down at her hands. She noticed for the first time that the nails were cracked and chipped. A brownish matter clung to the cuticles. In fact, her hands looked a fright. She wrapped them up in the dish towel, suddenly anxious. Her arms, too, she saw now, were covered with long scratches, as if she'd had a tempestuous encounter with Snowball, their cat. She did want to bake this dessert. She decided that she would finish it here and now. She had a tendency to leave her projects half done. She was always going on to the next thing, always in a hurry. In the long past of her marriage, her husband had had many disappointments. Her son, too. The dish she had in mind was made with coconuts. She remembered how she'd woken up that morning with a craving for a young coconut eaten fresh. But there was none to be had not here in Northern California. The nearest Chinese grocery carried freeze-dried packets of coconut shavings. She sometimes used them to sprinkle over a cake. But she didn't want that now. What she wanted was the milk, the sticky juice that the cook in Manila would boil and then mix with rice. These rice cakes, topped with brown sugar, were what she craved. She had them almost every afternoon, when she and her brothers returned home, famished from a long day at school. She opened the freezer. She was overjoyed to find three packets of grated coconut. Quickly, she began to boil the rice, filling her largest stockpot with as much as she thought it might safely hold without boiling over. While she waited, she remembered what she really needed was muscovado, the rocks of raw brown sugar her father always brought home with him from Bacolod. She was angry until she realized that her mother had sold the farm shortly after her father had passed away. She worked hard on the cake until the batter was ready to pour into the cake pan. The exertion, the sheer concentration required to follow all the steps without leaving the kitchen had worn her down. Outside, it was a beautiful day. How she longed to be in the warm sun. Silly to have spent so much time indoors in the kitchen. But the rice cakes, it puzzled her to see, were actually done. And she hadn't remembered putting them in the oven. She hadn't remembered either setting the timer or waiting for anything. It seemed as though she'd merely blinked 
and the rice cakes had popped out of the oven, perfect and puffy, each with a light covering of caramelized brown sugar. A masterpiece. She popped one of the rice cakes into her mouth. Ah, what joy! She blinked happily. If only she had a ripe mango to eat it with, she thought, everything would be complete. If only she could say what she had meant to say that morning. Why had no one told her? Love was not simply a feeling, not something as simple as joy or happiness. The complexity, the enormity of it had dawned on her slowly, and, like an invisible thread, it had pulled her forward, forward through the chaos of the wreck. It had guided her here, back to her home, where she now felt safe, cocooned from the street in the chaotic sound of men shouting, the smell of gasoline and hot asphalt and of metal burning. Pleased with her discovery, she smiled. She patted her hair with unsteady fingers. I'll take a shower later, she thought. Wash all this muck off. Her eyes were drawn once again to her fingers. She realized with a start that some of her fingernails seemed to have been sheared off. Some tremendous force had come, had produced in her a wreckage of blackened fingers. She stared down, fear like a little coil in her belly, unwinding. The phone was ringing. Someone was pounding on the door. It always happened this way. Their house, so silent most of the time, would suddenly crack open to receive the outside world. Many things would happen at once. It was never one thing at a time. Jesus Christ, her husband exclaimed, throwing down his paper. She was still in the kitchen, the baking tray with the warm rice cakes on the counter in front of her. She had made a mess of the countertops. Snowball appeared, and with a graceful jump, landed on the countertop. She tried to push the cat off, but the cat ignored her, its pink tongue greedily licking the remnants of batter that had dripped over the sides of the mixing bowl. Snowball! Bad, she said, and swung at the cat with all her might. The cat merely waved its head and hissed. It did not stop licking the counter. Peering through the kitchen door, she saw a policeman standing in the living room. He was huge. Her husband looked suddenly small and timid beside him. The policeman had red hair. His head seemed to graze the ceiling. There were black smudges on his cheeks and hands, which reminded her of the one she had noticed on herself. How curious! Puzzled, she watched. In a flash, she knew. Even before the big man had opened his mouth, she knew. She felt suddenly dizzy and swayed. She put a hand out to clutch the counter to save herself from falling, but it was too late. She could feel herself sinking slowly to the floor. The spatula dropped from her hand and made a soundless landing on the linoleum. There was movement behind her. Dayboy was running out of his room. Dad? What's wrong? Her son was saying. She wanted to catch him in her arms, but he was already past her and halfway to the door where her husband stood, talking with the policeman. The policeman, it seemed, was going away. 
to a place that he indicated with a gesture, a place behind the distant trees. She thought she smelled smoke. The policeman was still speaking. His voice was low and gravelly. As he left, he patted her husband's arm. She couldn't make out his words, but she knew from the tone of his voice that the news he was delivering was bad. And now she began to feel curiously insubstantial. It was as if threads of her being were coming slowly unwound and floating away on the dry air. Wait, she wanted to say. Wait, please wait. A whiteness started seeping into the edges of her vision. Her hand stretched out, imploring, but imploring what? Her thoughts were in a muddle now. Here she was watching the mourners at her grandmother's funeral. But her grandmother had died when she was three years old. Someone, she didn't know who, was holding her hand. An instant later, she was twenty-five, in a blue hospital gown, staring at a child who cried lustily in her cupped arms. If only, she thought. If only what? said an unfamiliar voice. She raised her head. Later, much later, when Dayboy had stopped crying and felt the first pangs of hunger, he wandered into the kitchen. There were the things his mother had put out, as though she'd been preparing to make a cake. She had put everything in readiness. The packets of frozen coconut gratings, the rice, the jar of brown sugar, the little cake molds, even the delicate porcelain serving plate that he'd only seen her use twice in his life. Once, when he'd graduated from middle school, and she'd ordered a strawberry shortcake from Draeger's. The second time, on his father's fortieth birthday, when his mother had surprised everyone by following a recipe from a cookbook and producing a chocolate cake of surpassing moistness and richness. Dayboy had never forgotten that cake, even today, years later. His mother had kept promising she would make another one for him. When Dayboy lifted a hand to wipe his eyes, he felt a light dusting of flour and sugar on his damp cheeks. That was Coconut by Marianne Villanueva. The story appeared in her collection of stories entitled The Lost Language, published by Anvil. Marianne was born and raised in the Philippines, and she now lives in the San Francisco Bay Area. Her novella, Janeline, will be appearing later this year through Vagabondage Press. Our narrator this episode is the lovely Marianne Mall, also a fiction writer. Marianne is currently working on her own collection of stories, and after the recording, I had the pleasure of chatting with her. Hi, Marianne. Hi. And did I say it right? Marianne, Marianne. Marianne. Marianne Mall. And Marianne read Marianne Villanueva, um, her story, Coconut. And this was included, this is included in uh, Miss Villanueva's um, collection of stories called The Lost Language. And it's one of the really interesting stories I found in the collection. And I want to ask you, Miss Mall. Okay. Because we share the same name, and that's yeah. really interesting. Um, what What did you think about the story that we've just read today? 
I think it, it works very in a very interesting way as a story of regret and it serves to remind us that like as mentioned in the story love is just a thin tenuous thread that pulls you back to your comfort zone but then that thread is too tenuous and it will be become unwound and so you have only that split second to realize certain things and in this day and age we have a lot of cautionary tales about you know regrets about doing things and not doing things so we can never really have too much of them because after like how many centuries of literature we still have regrets so that's we, true we haven't learned our lessons yet so that's it yeah um what did you think about well i i was i was uh thinking about it the way the title holds the story about the coconut it it, it may be just like a prop in the story but do you think there's a deeper meaning to i don't know maybe i'm just you know um thinking about it too much but Is there something that connects it to the whole story? I think coconut as a title, um, and it being the chief ingredient in the rice cake, because it's mm -hmm. not uh, it's not that particular cake without the coconut, yeah. and the fact that you can only get that particular coconut back in Manila and not where Northern California, where you are, it mm -hmm. kind of serves. Uh, to restrict the character that this is all she has mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. maybe that's part of the story of regret that I've left home there's there's we we don't have that kind of coconut here in Northern California and then uh, if only I have could have said this could have said that so it in I think the coconut element serves to enclose or to um, how do I say this It surrounds the. It surrounds the idea of regret inside the coconut. That's that's really interesting. <laughs> We could actually make another story of that. Well, I <laughs> yeah. hope. <laughs> yeah, and then and then complete your collection of stories. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> the things I have on my shoulders right now. What are you working on? When are you? Well, my my professors in UP are harassing me to get out of there. <laughs> <laughs> Anything there it's for long. it's for a reason. They want you yeah. to they want you to go out into the world and write more stories. I would so. like to quote my professor Rodora Ancheta for saying, "It's not like we don't want you here. It's just not good parenting to keep you here forever." <laughs> <laughs> they so want you out of the basement, girl. Yeah. And <laughs> Get your own condo. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Um, uh, any any stories that are coming up uh, in print or online that uh, we should know of? I'm working on this story about a flood. Mm. Uh, I, I call it, the working title is The Deluge. Okay. It's like just a small town with small town gossip small town housewives tales and secrets mm -hmm. and habits and siesta time and um, folk tales 
and then it starts to rain and rain very hard for 40 days and 40 nights and so there's a flood and in the flood people lose their inhibitions mm -hmm. and so those who used to be friends are now enemies and those who were enemies used to be friends i'd like to they, read that <laughs> the complete opposite of what they used to be and then after 40 days the flood stopped and they went back to how they used to be nothing it's like nothing happened this is something that's coming out or this is something you're working on something i'm working on because my problem is I keep reading what I have written, and it keeps sounding like at merienda. Oh my gosh, why? I don't know. I'm at this point in my writing career when sometimes I wonder, maybe at merienda is the only real story I was destined to write. You know, I, maybe I went to UP just to get that story off my back mm -hmm. or just to get that out of me. Because Professor Delisa would sometimes say in his career as a writing professor, sometimes students would, he doesn't discriminate his students. Mm -mm. Sometimes students would come and then disappear forever, but uh, leave behind a really good story and then never be heard of again. And if Professor Delisa says that if it's his job as a professor to get that story out of them, mm -hmm. then he's done a good job as a professor. You, you don't need to have a yeah. career in writing. Maybe you just need that one story. But I think you have a lot of other stories in you. I think the fact that you're actually aware that your writing now sounds like at Miranda, at least you have that awareness that will push you forward to write a new one. Yeah, don't you and think? At Merienda was written It was a in beautiful story. I, we you. read that and we critiqued it. It was written really nice. in 2003. It was submitted mm -hmm. to the Palancas in 2005. And you can, just uh, you can just measure the amount of time. And still, I'm back there. Mm -hmm. It's like I can't move on from there. Maybe I'm not supposed to. Maybe mm -hmm. I should just move on to the next non-writing thing in my life. I don't know. I'm, mm -hmm. But I'm not afraid, really. It's mm -hmm. nothing scary. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you have one good story, then you have one good story. If you have one good story. One good story. But I still think you have other stories in you. Thank you so much <laughs> yeah. for your Of course! <laughs> So feel the love. You know? <laughs> so that 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 only means that I'm expecting that new story out. Oh my god! <laughs> pressure, pressure. Uh, yeah. okay. So there. Yeah. So thank thank you, Marianne, for reading thank this you. story. This and, was fun. And I really and really like the way you read read so read much. this story. It was it was a pleasure for me too, and it was so worth getting lost, <laughs> getting here. <laughs> At least we're here. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for dropping by and we hope you enjoyed this episode. This is Elise Punzalan for Pakinggan Pilipinas. Ating kwento, pakinggan mo. For more audio fiction by Filipino writers, go to pakinggan.pilipinas.blogspot.com.